Monday nights now that you don't have football. Uh, actually, my wife, uh, uh, we take Friday nights and we generally try to find something she likes to do. Because it is the old cliche, but she is kind of a widow during the football season and she sits at home a lot on Friday nights waiting for me to get here. So when it's not Friday night, Friday night lights, then we try to go find something to do that she likes to do. He was just like and her was, uh, go driving around sometimes. You know, we just grab the dogs and go visit friends and stop in a couple, two, three different places and, and see our friends and hang out a little bit and come home. But, uh, you know, the old joke, I'm old and we don't do it, nothing too exciting, I don't think. Yeah. She go to bed at 8 o'clock like you? Uh, reluctantly. Reluctantly. She will, uh, if it was up to her, we'd stay up till 10 or 11 and get up at 7. But she, she gets up at 5 to get to work. But in the summertime, when she's not working, she would get up at 7. But, you know, uh, for me, I, I go to bed at 8. I'm up at 4. And generally working for myself, I can get more done work-wise between 4 and 9 a.m. than I do the rest of the day. And so that kind of becomes your your cycle of life and so I don't break it when it's not football season I just kind of stick with the same cycle and keep going but now if it's up to her we, we'd stay up a little bit later now I'll be honest you know until I really got to know you you're kind of a not really a secretive guy but there are things um you know like the the dirt biking and all that stuff um was that always something you were into or did that come you know once you got older the secretive part or the dirt biking? The part? dirt biking and all that. Uh, dirt biking, no, I got into it uh, right after I got out of high school. Uh, I just uh, actually went with some friends and we bought some cheap dirt bikes that had been through a flood, honestly. And uh, and so we got them really cheap and just started riding around on them just for something fun to do. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, we decided to take the next step. I've been doing it ever since. And, I've got a group of buddies that we ride with, and you know, most of them are my age. A couple of them are younger. We got a couple of guys that are older, and uh, you know, it's it's besides football, it's my hobby. It's the thing I do with, with the rest of my free time when I have it. And we take a couple trips a year. Uh, we just we went to uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, basically Utah, uh, a few weeks ago. We're going back to Colorado again here in a couple of weeks, and then uh, we were supposed to go to Texas in, in, uh, in the winter. Early spring, but that's when that freak ice storm hit down there, so that got canceled. So, uh, you know, it's it's my hobby. It's it's what I'm going to do when I'm done coaching. I think is just take some trips and go places and do things and maybe see some some I don't know, see some of the country and do it that way. What was it that attracted you to it? Um, just because you know, at least in my experience, and like you know, only you, small group of people, I guess, but like. Usually those two things don't really go hand in hand. We, uh, I think part of it was my mom growing up had all, she was anti-motorcycle. And she had told my brother and I, you'll never own one, you'll never be able to ride one. And all that did really was tell me, yeah, I need to try that out. Yeah. <laughs> See if I like it. And, you know, it, it, and I had some friends from high school that, that uh, they rode a lot, uh, you know, before they graduated and before I ever started. And so that was kind of the group of guys that I ended up. I just bought a bike and thought, let's try this out. It was like fun. And they kind of showed me the ropes. And, and uh, you know, it just, I don't know, it just kind of took. And, and then back in 2003, I think it was, um, we bought uh, we bought some land down, down by the river, River Bus. And uh, we, we had our own place to ride, cut our own trails. We host a couple events every year. And, 
and, uh, and they take trips. And, it's, it's, and my boys, I, I raised three boys. And so all three boys, you know, they ride. And so it's something we could do together besides football. Because, you know, my wife was not blessed with a daughter. And so she, she, she tagged along to a lot of football games and a lot of dirt bike rides. And, but it was something that, that we could do together. And, and they still enjoy it. They go with us when they can, when they get vacation. They still go, go on trips with us. So, and hopefully, if we go this year, we're going to lot. Yeah. Um, you you know, missing your mom and being against you know, motorcycles and all that, but apparently football was fine. Uh, when did that uh, you know, love for football start? Was it a young age like most people in football? Uh, it was. Um, I grew up in Houston. I didn't move here until the eighth grade. And so we grew up as Oiler fans, used to Oiler fans, Earl Campbell, all that stuff. Um, and I can remember as a kid, uh, my dad wasn't much into sports. He just wasn't his cup of tea. He wasn't against it, but it wasn't a passion. My mom was absolutely fanatical about football. And so I can remember as a kid, before I really understood the game of football, she would sit and scream at the television, hold on to the ball. That was a penalty, you know, all the things that, that people do now. And, uh, you know, and then she signed me up for youth football back then. And so I started playing youth football at, at maybe fourth or fifth grade. And it just kind of took off from there. And, and it, it was a passion that she and I shared. She she loved the Oilers and we moved up here. My grandparents were already up here. So I kind of grew up as an Oilers and Chiefs fan with my grandparents. And so uh, we moved up here and immediately switched to being full-time Chiefs fans and she was. She loved the game of football, and it, it sounds odd. I didn't get it from my dad, but I got it from my mom. And, and uh, uh, you know, she would. Uh, she would have enjoyed. She passed away four years ago. She. She would have enjoyed these last few years. That's for sure. Yeah, that, that is a little different, you know, because you're so used to being you know, playing catch with your dad. Maybe even your mom didn't want you really playing football. And I guess for you, it was the opposite. Um, had, how do you go from Houston, though, to Savannah, Missouri? Well, uh, my dad was, uh, he was a business agent, uh, which is uh, in, a, in a labor union in Houston. And uh, it's a long story. It's a convoluted story. Uh, but in, I want to say it was 79 or 80, um, he showed up to work one day, and there was a bunch of stretch limousines across the gate, and they had the gate uh, padlocked. And so he took that as a sign that maybe he wasn't going to be working at that particular office any longer. And he was originally from Maysville. And so he took that as an opportunity. He, he, he talked for a couple of years anyway about coming back up here. And so, um, uh, you know, we're not sure what happened, but pretty sure that the guys in the stretch limousines were closing that office down. And it's <laughs> kind of how he left it. And so uh, we, uh, we moved up here. And, and he sent my mom up here. Uh, I want to say she was up here a couple of weeks, stayed with my grandparents, and found us a place to live, and got, bought us a house, and she picked Savannah. That's, that's how I ended up in Savannah. I, I could have ended up anywhere, but she picked Savannah, and she moved up here and went to work up here, and eighth grade on, I've been here. Was that a big change for you? Huge culture shock, yeah. Um, the middle school that I was going to in, in Houston, I mean, there were more people in our middle school there than the, here's the entire city of Savannah. And so it's a huge middle school, DD middle school, what it's called, and uh, huge culture shock. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's the Midwest. Everybody's friendly, even even in eighth grade. And, you know, kids are mean. There's nothing meaner than a thirteen year old. And uh, 
know, but people were, were so welcoming and all those things that you hear about Midwest. And, you know, this is in 1980 and it, uh, it, uh, they, they made it a lot easier. I was able to make friends right off. And, you know, it, it was a culture shock to begin with, that's for sure. But we used to come up here and spend summers too. We'd just come up and stay for two or three weeks in the summer with my grandparents. And so that, that helped a little bit. I had some friends from that, that time in the area because my grandparents at that time lived in country club. And so it made it a little bit easier. I had some friends there that we'd hang out with in the summer and play ball with. So it was a little easier, but uh, yeah, huge culture shock. <laughs> You're not one of those guys that, uh, how do you feel about Texas? Here's why I ask. It drives me crazy. Anytime I meet anyone from Texas, all I hear about is how great Texas is while they're living here. You're not that guy, are you? Uh, no, not really. Um, you know, growing up there, uh, I grew up in, in, in Houston, in Boone, right in the urban setting. And so it was, it was big city living and all that kind of stuff. And then, the parts of Texas that people talk about are, 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 are parts that are outside of the big cities, you know. But um, I went back to see a couple of years ago, and then again last year uh, on a dirt bike trip, and uh, ran into some guys. Some guys we met, you know, on a couple of different uh, riding websites. And we're going to show us around these places, and so we're we're in the heart of Texas, and we're riding with guys we don't really know, but we talk to them on the internet. And the uh, I don't know how to say this the right way, but the strong personalities were obvious. It, it is, it's, you know, there's a group of us from the Midwest, laid back, everybody's just relaxed, having a good time. And then they got, they were very nice guys. I don't mean it that way, but boy, it's, it was a lot of type A. And so I get what you're saying. I get what yeah. you're saying. Cause we, we said that as, you know, we, we finished up each day and everybody hang around, eat and have a few beers or something. And then they go on, you know, they go, go back home or whatever and see us the next day. You felt like you felt like you retired from the conversation as much as you were from the from the dirt bike. It was, it, it was a lot of bombastic personalities. Maybe it's because they think their barbecue is better too. Well, they're wrong, and so uh, <laughs> and I'm, again, I'm from Texas, but there's nothing better than Kansas barbecue. I might give them brisket. Maybe. Maybe. It. I think it's it's difficult to find good brisket, um, and that's. Uh, <laughs> And you've seen me send photos of my cooking. Um, because I bought a smoker a while back, and I, I've been obsessed with it. Um, but brisket is quite expensive anyway. Uh, but the few times I've tried, I thought it was decent. But it is extremely difficult to do right. And everyone I talked to didn't really have any great tips. No, I actually, um, my kids, and it's sitting over there behind you, had bought me a smoker. For my birthday almost a year ago, and I just never got out of the box this week. And so, uh, prior to that, I used to do it the old school way you know, stand out there all day at the grill and just check on it every few hours and turn it and, and do all that. And that just became cumbersome. But uh, at the same time, you're right, I did a few briskets, and it, it, it's difficult, it's really hard to get it right now. Pork butt that is easy, it's delicious. Yep. You can get 12 pounds of it for $15. Um, so that, that's right in my wheelhouse and what I love about the smoker and I still grill occasionally, but like, you know, 10 o'clock at night, I'll throw the pork in, shut it, you know, put my chips in, not to screw with it until the morning, they add some more chips and then 
the middle of the afternoon, you had the pork. It was great. We said that for the boys this year, football-wise. Coach Junior Dustin Olson, he uh, he does that. He, he smoked a couple pork butts and we had it for our Sunday film session and had, had sides and everything for him. It's a cheap way to make a good meal, that's for sure. If you do it right, you can't tell if I've seen that or going to you know, Joe's Kansas City now. Both all the Joe's to me. But no, it's 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 a cheap way to make a meal, and I'm kind of anxious to use the electric one. My kids got me, um, but they got to me, you know, last year my birthday in August, and the football's going on, and the winter was going on, and it's one of those things that's it's, it's just kind of set in the box, and so we're gonna crack it out this weekend. And see what <laughs> kind of damage we can do. Well, I, I like how you got the one without the window on the front. It's cheaper, um, and from what I've experienced, is that window stays clean for. <laughs> Two days or well, two cooks. So now I know they're cheap. So we got that figured out. It was a gift. So now I know my kids are cheap. Okay, maybe not too cheap. At least it's, <laughs> it's got the box on top to keep track of everything. And um, so Joe's, have you tried? You know, what do you get at Joe's? Are you a sandwich guy? Or you go uh, for the I'm really sandwich guy. The burn-ins and all that kind of stuff is good. And then, you know, I'm generally sandwich because I generally go. I'm on the road. I'll go down there when I'm in Kansas City working. I'll see him by there. It's, it's, been, it's been a while. So I've been, yeah. Doing a sandwich because I don't, you can't go to stay. So I got to go. So it's easy to be on the road and keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I tried their ribs and pay for them, but I have a friend that loves ribs and we went. They they were good. Um, the burn ends, I haven't tried. Um, I, I leave that for when I go to Gates because they're, they're amazing. They are good. Um, the Z Man. Normally, what I get at Joe's, and it's it's really good. So, um, but anyways, back to where uh, we were originally before we got sidetracked. Um, Savannah, so you moved here. Um, was you know football wise, was that different as well? Oh, uh, much different. Um, you know when I when I played you know youth league in Houston and, and, and middle school in Houston, um, it was. Uh, yeah, there were so many kids, and so our our junior high, you know, they do they do take their football a little serious in Texas, and so um, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, I was on a team that that we won the league in Houston, the, the entire Houston youth football had all they had like five or six different programs. So the champion from each program would then play in this pool tournament, and you would then it'd be crowned the champion of Houston, and so that's how serious they took it. And then you left there and you went on and played the teams from Dallas and these other places. And so then I get into middle school and there's three middle school football teams because there's so many kids out. It's just, I don't know if it's still that way. This is, again, this is, you know, in the late 70s, 79, and, uh, you know, so you just, you literally went out to the team and it was like a lottery. You didn't know what team you were going to get put on. And, you know, they, they it was middle school football. They cared. But at the same time, you know, there were 60 of us out for middle school football. You know, more than that, actually. But I think, yeah, there have been over 60 of us out. And so, there were three teams. It was, you know, it was wild. And then you come up here and, you know, it's a little more laid back. You know, a little more laid back. And they're serious about it. But, you know, there were 19 of us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the whole different, you know, that, that was part of the culture shock, you know. Um, when you asked that earlier, uh, you know, I had never seen or knew what a softball was 
until I moved up here. I, well, I, I take that back. I didn't know men played it until I moved up here. Because when I was growing up, you know, women played softball, churches played softball. There were no competitive men's softball teams. That wasn't, you played baseball. And I moved up here and everybody was playing, all the guys were playing softball. Nobody played baseball. Well, I think it's for lazy people, isn't yeah, it? Or once know, you get old and out of shape. I don't know, but I mean, even the high school kids, we didn't have any. There was no high school baseball. And there was no, uh, there was a little bit of American Legion style ball, but it, that was only if somebody bothered to put it together. There wasn't an organ, organized program. Everyone played softball. And that, that was a culture shock to me because I'd never even hit a softball or thrown one or anything like that. But it, uh, it, it took some adjustment on that. But. Yeah. You look now, and Savannah's got a hell of a baseball program. Yeah, Looks Bodenhausen does a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, well, it was funny. So this year, we were, I was was covering a Savannah game, and it was the first time. And so, like kids' names, like you may write it in the scorebook. You don't really pay attention, or they have game changer now, and where these coaches do it all for you. Right. Um. So I was talking to him after the game, and I think they'd lost. Um, their second baseman was – he was bad. He had had you know, two or three errors that cost him. And so I'm asking him about it, and I'm like, so what are you going to do about the second baseman and blah, blah, blah? And then uh, he didn't say anything. Uh, he was just like, you know, coach speak early in the season. we got to get that stuff figured out. You can't have those. And then come to find out it was his son. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I felt bad that I hadn't put that together. Um, but yeah, I've seen his other son uh, with the Mustangs, and he's he's a talented kid as well. Yeah, um, but I, I like Coach Bodenhausen. So he and I have coached a lot of football together. Of all things, he's an assistant at Savannah on the football team, and uh, he's a freshman coach for a long time. And, and uh, he and I he and I have coached a lot of football together. And he's a he's a he's a fantastic baseball coach for sure, and, and excellent football coach. But baseball's his passion. It's obvious. He works really hard at it. Yeah, and you know, we you and I were talking a little bit ago. Um, I like to do a little prep work for these. Um, not a lot of information on you. Um, so you yeah, know, after <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, the only thing I could find was you got married um, after high school, um, which makes sense. Um, because, you know, if your wife had seen the way you look now compared to her, I don't know, she may have changed her mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm very way out of my pay grade. Let's just leave it at that. But, you know, what was, you know, what was the plan after high school? And then, you know, did that plan come to fruition or what was kind of the path you took? My original plan was I joined the Navy. And so, uh, me and a couple buddies, uh, I had actually met my wife. About six months before I was supposed to, to, to go to basics. And so I joined the Navy, and then uh, me and, and, and three other buddies joined at the same time. And, and uh, you go down to Kansas City and get your physical and do all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and I've always had since maybe, I think it would be first or second grade, I've got uh, I've got a condition with my eye. So my vision is 2200. My left eye is basically useless. Everything's blurry. And so... I really got into Kansas City. I passed my physical. They sent me on to, to Chicago in the dead of winter. And I got a million stories about that. I, I wish I'm going to write a book about all the things I, I did in those 60 days in Chicago. But <laughs> I get to Chicago and they give you another physical when you get there. 
And so, like the first one didn't count. They right? didn't start over. And so I'm at the eye test, and the guy's like, hey, what's wrong with your eye? And I tell him the whole story, and, you know, it's, it's there's nothing you can do about it. There's no correction for it, no glasses. And he just looked right at me and goes, sorry, bud, you're going home. And I was like, okay. And I, he's like, yeah, they should have caught that in Kansas City, sorry. Huh. And so they shipped me back home. And so, uh, you know, and like I said, I met my wife six months before that. And so I came back home and got a job and went to work. And, and next thing you know, we're married and got kids and, and going on. So my plan was the Navy, but the Navy said they didn't want me and it worked out for the best. I'm you know, probably the best thing ever happened to me was, was, was being kicked back out. And I kind of felt bad for my buddies because we all went in together and they all stayed and I got sent home. Well, I guess I, I take that back. My friend Mark. He went to San Diego for his basics, and uh, he had asthma. And he had an asthma attack while he was there, and they sent him home. So he and I got to go back home, and the other buddies stayed. And one of them still made a career out of it. The other, my other buddy stayed. I think he stayed in eight years or so. But, yeah. But, uh, no, that was the plan, and it worked out for the best. Yeah. If I were going to join, I think I would do the Navy. Um, listen, six months on a ship would, wouldn't be fun. Um, but that once a month or so when you get to dock, you know, see all those places across, you know, around the world, that, that, that might be worth it. I wish I'd have thought it through that much. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 we chose the Navy in part. Uh, one of my friends that joined with us, uh, his dad had retired from the Navy. And so he had kind of, he just had kind of kept nudging us that direction, nudging us that direction. And he told a lot of great stories about places he'd been and, and, and things he'd seen. And so that was, I mean, we, we, we literally decided to do Navy over anything else because his dad had such a great experience and retired from it. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think about all the places we'd be docking and getting off ships. I just, I just knew I wanted to go see the world. And I yeah. was, you know, you get out of high school and I didn't want to go to college at that time. And I thought, man, I'm, I may not get to see all these places once life starts. And so, and, and my two, my two youngest boys are in the air guard and, uh, they've been Germany, England, Hawaii. You know, Alaska, they've been all over. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great experience for them, too. So then work-wise, um, once you get booted from the Navy, um, what's your plan there? Well, uh, well, that's not very complicated either. <laughs> I, went, I, went, I went to work for my uncle doing landscaping. And so... Um, Listen, uh, I'm going to stop you there. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Every time um, I see, you know... Some planting flowers. I'm like, that just seems like an amazing job. Uh, there are a lot of jobs working outside. You know, I watch people pour concrete. Um, I feel bad because I hire these people and try not to make it sound too awful, but I see them do it. I've done it. It's it's not fun. Yeah. Um, but there's something about cutting grass, or planting flowers that just, if it paid more, it's, it seems like something I would want to do. I enjoyed it. I really did. It, um, it's, it, it is exactly what you say. I mean, other than the heat gets unbearable at times, too, what you're doing, but I enjoyed those days. It didn't pay very well. Yeah. You know, and so I eventually had to leave that and, and go find something that had insurance and benefits and those kind of things. But uh, as a young kid, it was awesome. You know, it was awesome. You were off in the winter, you know. We could go in once in a while if something came on, you had a little warm streak in the in the winter, you might go do some work for somebody that needs something done, put a wall up or something like that, you know, but it, uh, 
it was my uncle that owned the company. And when I came back from the Navy, I, I didn't have a job. And he was like, hey, I'll put you to work. And I worked there for, I think about this, five years. Five years I did that. So, but, but it's hard to, you know, hard to have a family and pay for things. And, you know, we were pretty frugal back in those days. Well, you know, my story isn't that different. Um, you know, I, I screwed around a little bit in my early 20s. Um, finally, you know, I was about 24, 25. I decided to grow up and I went back to school, graduated. And at the time I graduated, I had my first child. Um, you know, I went with journalism and kind of like landscaping. Uh, it doesn't pay very well. Um, and so, and so I went to work with my uncle, uh, you know, pouring concrete for, you know, a year trying to figure out what I was going to do, uh, waiting for jobs. And, you know, the tough part about journalism is not only does it not pay well, but that job market is shrinking. Um, and so at the end of it, he was like, uh, well, he had a buddy that, uh, did sales for an asphalt company. And he kind of convinced both of us that maybe I should do that for him. And so that's eventually what I did. You make more money, a lot less work, at least physically. Um, and so because of that and because, you know, that job isn't a true 40-hour-a-week job, it, it gives me time to continue to do some journalism right. without trying to support, you know, kids and wife off of it. That would be difficult. And it was difficult when we were young. I mean, my wife played the tables, and, and, uh, and I did that. And so, you know, we weren't, we had jobs and we had money, but you know, we were just getting by. No, no real benefits to speak of. So, uh, but I, those are some really great, great times doing that, doing the landscaping just because you are outside. And it is kind of, I don't know, you're creating something. With it, yeah. You know, and my, my uncle was really creative. Some of the ideas he had, he was kind of ahead of his time on a lot of things, and, and so we got to do some really, really interesting projects and things like that. But I, I still, I, I kind of always thought that someday when I'm retired from what I am doing, you know, there weren't mowing companies back then like there are now. You know, there's a hundred thousand mowing companies. There weren't, and so we would mow a few yards. I kind of thought, you know, that might be a nice retirement gig. Just have a few yards you go mow to get outside and do something. And, but it's not your, you know, you're not putting 10 hours a day in 100 degree heat. But if you had a few you had to take care of, uh, I kind of always thought, you know, maybe go back where you start, mow yards, and kind of retire that way to have something to do. Yeah, well, now if you can get, you know, some decent sized, you know, these businesses. Right. Uh, they got these mowers now that yeah. hop right on the back. You, you're not you're not pushing it. I assume I assume back in your day you had the but not just normal push mowers, one with just the blades that kind of spun with your momentum. Yep, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, and and my my uncle at that time he was notoriously cheap. And so uh, we would we had I don't know, maybe six or eight yards that we took care of mode. They weren't huge like what you see now with business or anything like that, but uh, we had some doctors and those kind of people that we go mow the yard. They want to stripe a certain way and that kind of stuff. And so he just bought a little push mower with a bagger on it every spring. And you got to use that. And so I did a lot of walking and pushing and striping. And, you know, I, I hated it then, but I look back on it now and think, well, that was kind of fun. And just kind of a, 
know, I don't want to say brainless, but it was, you know, you weren't thinking about much. You were just kind of doing your work and enjoying the day and being outside. Good luck, he said. Well, <laughs> funny enough, I was doing a story, the newspaper, um, and I decided to interview a childhood friend of mine that works for the National Wildlife Service now, and I was kind of talking to him about his story. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because he's a really smart kid. You know, obviously biology. You know, study chemistry, all the all those things in college. Um, and then during the summers, he worked for the Parks and Rec department. And I shit you not, he was like, uh, there was a moment where I'm like, maybe I just want to do this. You know, it was it was kind of what you were saying is, you could see your work, you could see that. You know, he's he was like, grass grow, I cut it, make it look nice, come back in a few weeks, do it all over again. So. Um, but then coaching, um, how did that come about? Um, well, and how long after you had, you know, gotten booted from the Navy, did you decide to come back? And then how long did it take you to get into coaching? Um, let's see. That would have been, I got into football itself or back into football, I guess. It would have been in 96 when, uh, guys back with it, uh, coach back with it, uh, worked with me at North Andrew, and he, he, he'd started up, or he'd ran an ad to, to sign up for youth football, and it was the first time in Savannah, and so I took my son to sign up for youth football, so uh, met him there, and then uh, he and I decided to kind of partner up and run the youth program together, and coach the team there, and then that led to meeting Coach Brockhoff in Savannah, and, and next thing you know, I'm kind of helping him, and so I just kind of came along that way and, and you know basically through the youth program which I'm really running through the youth program just you know I did that oh gosh really since 96 and it took a few years off when I was coaching the North Platte but you know I got to work with Coach Brockoff at Savannah and then when he left um, uh, Coach Cole came in and, and, and I worked for him for a few years at Savannah then I went and worked with Coach Brockoff at North Platte then I came back to Savannah and went back to North Platte. Just kind of bounced around, you know, a little bit here or there. And then, uh, you know, my last uh, my last year at Savannah that I was here, um, you know, it, it didn't go well. And so I, I kind of felt like my time at Savannah was probably done. You know, I was just an assistant all this time, but I just kind of felt like, you know, that that, that part of it's done. And, 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 you know, while I was doing all that, I was still running the youth program, you know, and coaching the team out there a lot of times. So you'd get a high school practice at three, you do that till five thirty or six, you run out and do a youth practice from six to eight, and then you know, and by then I kind of worn myself a little bit ragged, you know, doing that for a long time. And so I really thought I was done. And then the North Andrew opportunity came up and I I kinda I kinda dismissed it at first just because I kinda really thought, ah, I don't teach. You know, me being a head coach, not being a teacher, maybe that's not not a good idea, not gonna work, you know. Um, but uh, to their credit, they were kind of relentless about, you know, they really want you to, to, to take an interest in this and, and come talk to us about it. And Coach Speckman, like I said, he and I have been friends since 96, and he'd been a, a, an offensive line coach for Coach Schooner over at North Andrew for four years, and then uh, he actually took over the middle school program after uh, Coach Schoonover left, and so I went up and helped him in 2017 with the middle school team just for something fun to do. Wasn't getting paid or nothing like that. It was just a buddy said, hey, come up and help the coach. And 
And uh, so I did. And, and you know, kind of got a little taste of eight man. And the next year, you know, the job came open again at high school. And, and, uh, he, he actually uh, had a lot to do with me deciding to, to give it a shot, give it a try. You know, I, I felt like I could do a, be a head coach. In the building, you know, there's some there's some big hurdles along the way when you're not in the building. And, uh, fortunately, though, everybody in North Andrew's been fantastic and worked with me. And you know, now I'm at North Andrew and be here for at least next few years, anyway. Hopefully, you keep saying that. I don't know. I think you still got a lot of coaching left in you. Uh, you know, when I got hired, uh, they wanted some stability because they had Coach over and then. They hired Coach Walker and then me. And so they had that one year there where there was a lot of, there was some turmoil there. And so uh, they wanted some stability. So when I got hired, they, they said, hey, we, we really need you to commit you know, four or five years. We, we don't want to be turning coaches over all the time. And, and so I, I did. I, I told them I'd do five. And so uh, this is the start of year four. And uh, I feel like, you know, I'm going to honor the five. And then after that, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not saying for sure I'm done, and I'm not saying I'm going to keep going either. I'll be 55, which isn't old, but uh, I've been I've been giving up my falls since 96, and so is my wife. And there are a few other things that I want to keep business-wise and that, that I've kind of had in the back of my mind. I'd like to do some things with my, with my business and some other things, but I just don't have the, the time to do that when you're committed you know, nine months out of year like we are, we're still with weights and morning weights and those kind of things. And, and back to the dirt bikes. I've, there's some trips I want to take and some things I want to do. And I just, you just can't do it if you're, you know, you start practice in July and camps in July. And next thing you know, it's December or November. And, and so uh, we'll see. Uh, but I'm going to do my, I will finish my five years and then reevaluate, I think. And, Have you considered that, that day though? Um, and I ask this because I think it's so hard. Um, you know, when you're young, uh, you finish high school and, you know, maybe you don't want to continue playing or college and you're like, I'm done. Um, but coaching isn't one of those deals that, you know, it does, it, it can be, I guess, physically taxing, but it's not, you know, you're not getting hit constantly right. or, you know, run yourself ragged. But, you know, I think, you know, history and coaches will tell you that, you know, not everyone wants to be Bobby Bowden and you know coach until the end. Um, but how are you going to get yourself to give it up? Like, have you considered you know what that final straw will be? That's like, okay, I have to be done because I mean, I'm sure you enjoy being a businessman um, and doing those things, and you know, spending time with your wife um, and your dirt bikes. But you know, football something you've been doing since you were you know a small kid. Um, that's got to be something that's going to be hard even then to give up. Uh, it will be. And I mean, there won't be a straw. It, it's not anything like that. I mean, I could I could see myself coaching 10 more years. But there are just some other things I'm interested in that I've just not had time to get to. It's not really a, a I'm tired of doing football. It's it's more of a I've got some other things I'd like to experience and try to do too. And so, um, and that's just it. I mean, I tell my wife all the time, I, I, I do worry that, you know, I've done it this way 20, what was it, 25, 26 years. What am I going to do? You know, I don't want to just say, hey, I'm done coaching and then have nothing to do. I'm kind of a, I, I kind of have to stay busy 
I'm not much of a sit around the house kind of guy. And so I do worry a little bit how I'm going to fill that time. Uh, and I use coach, I reference him a lot of middle coach Speckman, but he retired from coaching last year. He wasn't after 2019 and he had all these things he was going to go do. And he had Mizzou tickets. He was going to go, he wanted to go watch all these great high school players play in Texas and, and Louisiana. And then COVID happened. And so he retired and then get, didn't get to do a single thing that he wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, and he doesn't regret that. It's just that I think, I, I do think that sometimes, like, what am I going to do with that time if, if I don't have something to fill it with? So it, it's not a, it's not a, I don't want to coach football anymore thing. It's as much as it is. I just, I, there's some other things I want to do and I'm not getting any younger and I want to make sure I can do them when I'm still healthy and, and have time to do it. I've got grandkids now and, and they've got interest in things that I don't, you know, that I want to kind of be around for. And, my grandson's going to, you know, he plays football, so that's kind of nice. I do get people to watch that on Saturdays, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I don't know, I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I also don't know if I want to do it for 10 more years. Yeah. How, it's been, it's been different. It's got to be slightly different for you, um, but I do want your opinion on this because uh, I grew up playing love and man, you would, played and coached it for you know most of your life and then you get the eight man um and just you know every year we get more and more teams as football um i don't want to say it's dying but at least it's not maybe as popular as it once was but i think you know and i've talked about this a lot of a lot of coaches is that a lot of sports in general you know kids just aren't playing as much as they used to um but also, with that, um, you are also, I don't want to say you're solely responsible because I don't know the details of it, but you helped create a pretty good youth program here in Savannah. Um, so, when you started that, um, how was it that you got to the point now where there are more youth kids in Savannah than there are in St. Joe altogether? You know, what was kind of the, the steps you took to make it? as popular as it is still. Well, there was a group of us, um, myself and Guy Speckman and Kip McFadden. Uh, those are the, the three main, you know, guys over the years. Lots of others, lots of others. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least say a lot of others because I'm going to forget somebody's name. But there's a recognition wall out at the youth complex in Savannah that recognize all those guys. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, you know, Tap to be the ringleader of the, of the circus, for lack of a better term. But, um, you know, one thing that we've been very fortunate at with the youth program, and I'm still on the board. I don't really do much with it, but I'm still on the board. And, and I, I give the guy who runs it now, Nick Morgan. He'll call me every now and then and ask about, Hey, who does this or why are we doing it like this? And, and that kind of stuff. But we've had some fantastic people. And, and that's been the key to it is that. We made football important for young kids in Savannah, and we made it something they could be proud of. And we tried really hard uh, to be inclusionary in, in the fact that you know, we don't we don't cut kids, we we don't uh, we don't discourage anyone from playing at all. And and that that's that's helped us a lot in the, as a small town setting. And then I think consistency. Uh, it went from I ran it. Um, and then a guy named Eric Hacker took over and did a fantastic job running the program. He ran it for three years. Uh, and then when Eric stepped down, his kids were done. Uh, 
I actually been done at uh, North Platte Coaching, and so I was kind of in between, and they, I came back and took the program back over after being gone from running for three years, and I ran it for another three, and then a guy named Brian Emmendorfer took over, and now Nick Morgan runs it. Um, but all these guys are, uh, I don't know how to say it other than they're just good people, and they put the kids first, and they work really hard at, at making sure our kids are having a good experience, as safe as they can. Football's dangerous sport. They don't, I don't care if it's third grade or NFL, it's dangerous. And mm-hmm. we do, we do a good job, I think, of, of training our coaches and, and making sure that they're doing it the right way and teaching it the right way. And, you know, we're not, we don't know youth programs perfect, but they try really hard. And, and football is, uh, I don't want to say dying, but it's, it's, it's suffering in some places right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a stigma about it. And it uh, I don't know that it's well-deserved, but it does. Uh, you know, I, I, I understand a lot of parents that, hey, I don't want my third grader out there hitting. Hey, I get that. I absolutely understand that. Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody at that age. It's not for everybody at, at, at high school age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I do think there's some life lessons and some things that are learned and, and some toughness that's, that's, that's taught out there on the field and that's coached correctly. And that's the important part, coached correctly. Um, you know, uh, it could, you know, and what's going on in St. Joe, I couldn't, I don't know all the ins and outs, but it is struggling. It, it's, 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 it's kind of a, it's kind of sad to see, honestly, a little bit. It's coming from back in the days. I used to do the schedule for the, for the Midland Empire League. I used to put the schedule together for all the teams. And, uh, I can remember trying to do it for 54 teams all around Northwest Missouri We're in this big league. And we're trying to schedule home games and I'm, I'm laying on my basement floor with legal pads. You know, I didn't care for software and things and doing it that way. I like the old school hand laying. So I'd lay there scratching it out all over the place. I do it all on paper handwritten out. And, you know, now there's, there's no league at all. And Savannah's having to, you know, drive clear down to Kansas City to play in the Kansas City League because it's just kind of dried up around here. And fortunately, their programs, you know, the Savannah programs got as good numbers as they've ever had. And it, it's the guys that run it, the community supported it. We've got a great facility. I don't know if you've been out there, but the youth sports complex is it's top top notch. And it, that helps a lot as well. A lot of great guys went in the building. Speaking of building programs, um, you you took over the North Andrew one that was in pretty good shape. Um, but if you were you know a newer coach um, and someone who's been around coaching for a while. Um, because, you know, building a program can be difficult. Uh, you know, what kind of things are important to you? Um, not just, I guess, building a program, but just coaching in general. Um, that's helped you become or continue that success um, at North Andrew. That's a good question. Um, you know, when I got the job, one of the reasons I was attracted to the job, let's just say that, is it's, is it's history. And that's obvious. It's got a great history, and so you, you knew there was a commitment, you know. And, and if, if I'm advising another coach who's looking at a job, you know, that'd be the first thing I'd have them ask the administration, "What's your commitment?" Because that, that's kind of where it starts. And so our school is committed to, to you know, football. They're committed to it, and so they give us our resources and those kind of things. But um, you know, when I when I took the job, uh, I talked to the kids about, you know, we're going to do things different. And there's a, there's always a change, and that that's a hard thing for some guys. And I dealt with that in my first year, where I, I had some seniors who had state title rings, so when they were freshmen, you know. And so 
uh, but they just really wanted to just redo it. You know, of course, my style was different than, than Coach Schoonover's. My way of doing things is different. It doesn't mean his is right or mine's right. It's just everybody's different. And so the, the salesman part of it's kind of tough for me, and, and I think for a lot of coaches, but, uh, you know, taking over a successful program, there's some pressure with that. You know, come in and bomb, boy. <laughs> you know, it's got to be you because everybody else has done well, you know. Uh, but we, you know, I, I tried to sell my kids on, you know, I think you and I talked about this before. The number one thing I told them is we got to have an identity. You've got to establish who you're going to be, what you're going to be. And that's why, you know, just like what Patchburg does, I don't like that style of football, but you know who they are. And you know what you're going to get every Friday night. And, 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 you know, there's something to be said for that. And I think that, I think we've developed that. You're going to get home at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, right. You're going to, yeah, you're going to get home at one o'clock in the morning. There's 800 uh, stoppage in the clock. But, um, you know, I, I told our guys, we've got to have an identity. Um, and, and one approach that I do that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but one of the things that I do, I was told one time that my style of coaching would not work. I was told that. And so uh, I, got, I kind of coached with a little bit of chip on my shoulder about that. And so um, we, a lot of coaches will tell you, and I know a lot of coaches who do build good relationships with their kids, um, almost everything we do is built around that, every single thing that we do. And uh, if we have to make a choice about something and it's harmful to our relationship with our kids or to our, uh, just to our team dynamic, we don't do it. It's really not any more complicated than that, and uh, we stick to our guns. We don't we don't change when things don't go right. We don't change when you know it's not perfect. And, and I look back to our first game. You know, we played King City, my first first game with North Andrew. And they had Colin Bracken Ridge. They were they were a title contender that year. They were a really good football team, and they just kicked our butt up and down the field. And I've been around a lot of football coaches who would have gone in that next week and changed everything. We didn't change a single thing. I learned from Mark Cole uh, when I worked for him at Savannah. We got our butt kicked by Richmond one week. We went back the next week and we blocked and tackled for an entire week of practice. That's all we did. We didn't put a new single play in. We didn't change a thing. We blocked and tackled that. And so I, I learned from that. So uh, the stability of not making a bunch of changes, having an identity, and, and the relationships. You know, I trust my kids and I think they trust me. And, uh, I think it showed last year. You know, I'm disappointed you didn't say it was one of my bitten teams. But, uh, <laughs> but you know. It, it was not. Richmond went on the way to state title up here, by the way. Uh, it, wasn't, oh. it, wasn't bad, it wasn't a bad loss, but they, 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 they beat us up pretty good. So they were a really good team up here. I didn't deserve that low blow. <laughs> Listen here, we used some of West. They cheated, is what they did. Okay. Yeah, they cheated. At least that's what I hear. That's what you heard. Uh, well, I've been around Kansas City football long enough. That I know that it's not really cheating down there. It's just, no, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, but that cheating ain't trying, right? Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, the coolest place I got to play was Web City. Just, it, it's amazing. Like, I've never seen so many fans at a high school yep. game. And just like that, I swear they had 150 kids on their team. Yep. Worst uniforms in sports. 
I'm a little Oilers fan. I like the, the blue and the red. I, I see, I, okay. I don't know that it the way they do, but but, I, but I it, like the, it's it's slight red. There's right, a little bit of red. red. Yeah, not this red. Completely red pants and baby blue. I found myself watching college baseball the other night. Um, watch it. Well, I was watching Arkansas and uh, uh, who the hell? The team they lost to. Anyways, and then the Ole Miss and Arizona game was on after that. And Ole Miss had that baby blue and red. And I'm like, just for that, I hope you lose. And they did. They lost by 13 runs and they deserved to lose by more. They did. <laughs> um, I do have a question though. If your running back doesn't get hurt, do you win the state title? No, because we didn't force any turnovers. Oh, get out! I'll hey, give you an honest answer. I, I told you after the game, <laughs> we knew going into that week if we didn't, if we were plus two in turnovers. We were the that was a really good football game we played. We had more speed than we could deal with. It showed. We were we were too aggressive early in the game defensively. We, were, we took bad angles. He got out, got out, and got away from us. And you know that's the thing we worked on in practice all week long was we can't let him get out, we can't let him get away from us. And we did that early. Um, I do think it's a different game. Um, uh, the score will be different, obviously, uh, but also on the defensive side, uh, you know, Ecker's a, one of the best defensive backs. And we dropped the pick six, but I think he would have, you know, nothing against the young man that dropped it. He was. Thrown into the fire, and he made a great read. He just didn't catch the ball. You know, Coach Magruder told me after the game, he goes, "That was right in front of him." Because I just, I, I thought you guys were going to pick it and go, score. And, and you know, I, I, you know, that there's a score maybe that turnover that we needed. You know, but uh, we weren't plus two. We needed to be plus two in that game to, to, to win. And they beat us up. You know, we came in the game a little. That's unexcused. We came in kind of banged up. Carson has got got beat up a little bit against well, really a lot against Southfold. It was such a physical game. He had Bruce Rich coming in and then still had to play against Danbury. And he didn't really re-injure it, but you just can't heal it, you know. And, and then uh, Sears came off the edge. And that was one of the, that was one of the best hits I've seen in, in, in football in a long time. Yeah, he's a monster. An eight, eight man especially. But he came off the edge and put a good lick on him. Yeah. Sitting to the sideline for a little bit. You know, that, that kid's a fantastic football player. Yeah. No, I mean, back to your question. We were going to have to plus two. I, I do think it's a different score. I think they still do this move by one score. Uh, you coward. <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> yes, we would have won. We'd be yes, fans. yes. That's, that's what I want. That's what you want? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know. and that way I can tag McGruder. <laughs> tag yeah. <laughs> you know, early, early on in that first quarter, we were just back and forth. You know, that second quarter is what got away from us. You know, Ecker gets hurt, and we just didn't handle it very well as a team. I do think you're probably right, um, just because that Southwest team is crazy talented. I do think it's a much better game. Oh, absolutely. So. I, I do think that. I don't, you know, it just got, it got, there was about a 15 minute stretch there. I was ugly football. <laughs> and, and, oh, I know. You know I, I, I was there. <laughs> you know, you were supposed to do it as I was. It was hard to watch. Uh, but, uh, you know, we just didn't handle that, that little window of adversity very well. We'd had adversity during the year. We'd had a lot of things go on. But, uh, and we handled them all pretty well. But, uh, you know, in the moment like that, in that big game, it was, and everybody was worried about him. We weren't sure. And Josh was going ACL. You know, we didn't have to have surgery, all those kind of things. So it, uh, it just 
kind of lost the momentum for a little bit there. And then after that, it was catch up. And we're not a catch up football team. You know, it's just not who we are. We, we were fortunate enough to do it against Albany, but we, we had some. I don't, I don't think you saw that game, but there was three or four plays in that that I don't think we could make up again on the offensive side. So. I feel like that would have been the opposite of a Pattonsburg game, you and Albany. That seems like a uh, game's over at 845 type game. Well, in the old days it was. Uh, Coach Fountain has, has come alive with his RPO game, and and uh, he's, he's found a few kids that can do some things. And, you know, he lost so many close games early in the year. And, uh, they came out of it. Just smack us in the mouth. Uh, I can't remember. We were down 20. I think down 20 at half. And it just, they were just kicking our butt up and down the field. We just come off that Stanberry win. I think that's part of it with our guys mentally. You know, we're just, we've been up for North Shelby. You've been up for Pattonsburg. You've been up for Stanberry. And after a while, you just, you know, you just get tired. And, and uh, I told our coaches that week and that, uh, or after the game, took it. That night. We overcoached that day, and that happens sometimes. You know, uh, Coach Con, who calls our defense on Friday nights, and does a fantastic job. Uh, he and I got to, we got to try to stop everything. If you try to stop everything, you don't stop anything. And we just, we just overcoached it. We didn't do a very good job getting our kids prepared. And fortunately, uh, that group of seniors I had is as coachable a bunch of kids I've ever been around. We made some halftime adjustments. Turned the switch back on, rallied from 20 down, and came back to win. But, but that, that, that's a prime example when the coaches got the way. Now, before we get out of here, do you want to discuss the uh, state of officiating in Missouri? <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, you know, I, I'll pass at this juncture. Uh, but um, Here's I, what I, I will say. Here's what I will say. Um, because most of them just give me shit. Um, because no coach is ever really thrilled with officiating. While, but I can say this because they're not going to you know, throw flags on me. It's a difficult job. Um, it doesn't pay well. Um, and who the hell wants to do it? Um, and I see this especially. In, it's different. It's youth league and they're umpires. And hell, they're teenage kids basically. And even then, you are just constantly pissing someone off. And it's just like, why? I, uh, at one point, I had talked to Coach Junior Dustin, my son, and my other boys, who are all coaches in the youth program. My youngest son, Dale, coach us on Friday nights. We had always talked about, hey, someday when we're all done coaching, let's do an official, let's do the crew together, be us, and maybe some other guys that we know. And boy, wouldn't that be a fun way for all of us to spend our Friday nights, you know? And then, uh, that, that was a brief, it's one of those things that really looks, sounds good when you're talking about it over a couple of cold ones, but, um, it, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And those guys get a bad rap and, you know, I, I get frustrated with them just like everybody else does and voice my frustrations. But I, uh, I don't know how they're supposed to take that kind of abuse, you know, that they get. Not everybody does that, but I, I, I know some guys that really let them have it from the time the ball's kicked off to the game's over. I don't know how they're supposed to deal with that. And I know we, even some of them had some issues walking to the car. That's ridiculous. You know, and, that, and that's why you, that's why they can't get guys to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? That's why they can't get guys to do it. And it's social media. You know, that's, that's, you know, you've seen it. Yeah. Guys ranting, railing on officials on social media. That's just, that's uncalled. Yeah. 
Well, I kind of agree with... Well, you can complain in the moment because there's always a bad call. Uh, It's the blaming of officials. I've always felt that, you know, the blaming of the officials is a loser's mentality, and that's kind of true. I mean, you know... I guess there's certain situations where maybe a bad call affects it, but in the end, there's, there's a lot of plays that affect the game. Though. Yeah, you know, there's a hundred plays that. There's a lot of plays. If a coach really looks at it long enough and hard enough, I'm pretty sure he could find where he impacted it a whole lot more than that official did. Okay, well, I'll remember that this fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm hard on myself. You know, I, I try to self-evaluate. I'm pretty hard on myself. You, you said earlier about you know, it's not physically demanding, but Mentally. Coaching at any level, any level is, whether it's Andre, it's you, take it serious. You know, it's, it's, it's mentally granted. If I sit around on Saturdays just kicking myself, boneheaded decisions, whatever I may have done, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that one time you threw the ball. That, that one time we threw the ball. It's, you know, three things happen when you throw it. Two of them bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, or something you didn't teach a kid. You know, we had that the Stanbury, Stanbury playoff game. You know, we had a young man make a mistake. I coached special teams. So I, I took responsibility. I should have coached him better. So, you know, I know he felt bad about it. He still talks about it, but uh, it's something I should have coached better. Yeah. I think most coaches are probably look at themselves that way. I think it's that and kind of second guessing every little decision. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was one. Of the, it'd be one of those things where it'd keep me up at night. Either I'd be up late Thursday night because <laughs> you know, I'd be going through play by play by play of what I wanted to do, and then, you know, come Friday night, I'd be laying in bed thinking about play after play after play of what things went right or yeah. went wrong, uh, which, you know, I've had that interest to get into coaching, but then there's that fear of it becoming almost an addiction and kind of taking over, um, which I guess isn't always a bad thing, um, but I guess, you know, that's always been my kind of fear because I always feel like there's, um, you know, the last time I was here, you you your whiteboard up, and you and I feel like that would constantly be me. Uh, There's so. a, you know, I, I do a, we do a banquet day of the year, and I always thank my wife. A phrase I always use or whatever is, you know, we'll sit at Sunday night and be watching a program or talking, or she's telling me about this or that or the other, and I've got my iPad in my lap, and I'm watching. Her. I'm listening, but I'm not really listening, you know. And, and thankfully, I I overmarried and. And she's patient with me about it, and, and she puts up with it. You know, sometimes she has to repeat herself three times before I actually answer. But uh, but but you're there, but you're not there. Yeah, you know, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, um, but I think it's one of those things, like you know, when I'm able to write, um, you know, my wife says she can tell it makes me happier. Mm-hmm. I'm in a better mood, right. and I kind of feel like you know maybe without those things, that kind of you know, can be. Um, that demanding, um, there is some good to it. Um, even if at times, you know, a few months out of the year, you're more away than you're here. Absolutely. So, I agree with that. Well, Coach, I appreciate you doing this um, and all of your $5 donations. Um, <laughs> because Do I have to pay $5 to listen to my own interview? Is that how that's going to work? This one's $10. This one's 10 okay. I tried to tell you, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. You're going to be shocked at the number of people who don't listen to. Uh, I always am. <laughs>